Hey, hey homebodies. homebodies! Welcome back to the Introvert City, where we discuss culture, media, and faith from the perspective of an introvert's complex mind. What's up, y'all? Hey, guys. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. Well, actually, it's Monday, but you guys are listening on Tuesday. Yeah. I guess I'll ask today, Seth, how you're doing. How I'm doing. I'm actually doing really good. I'm actually, I'm actually doing really good. That's Church great. was so good this weekend. Church, Church was, was fabulous this weekend. This was one of weekend. my favorite I, one of the most important things for me as a Christian, like something that I stand by, uh, is forgiveness and like the idea of like forgiveness and reconciliation and pastor Alex just really, uh, he really dug deep into it. It was really good this week. No. Yeah. I thought it was really good. Mm. Like, I like that. It wasn't very stereotypical. It wasn't like you need to forgive and you need to love. Like, obviously we all know Mm. that, but he talked about how forgiveness doesn't always equal immediate trust like you need to be Mm. very wary of who you trust the different types of trust that exist between different relationships it was really good and like the the differentiation because i feel like so many times uh, people look at forgiveness as a way as as the way but then never want to actually reconcile and he talked about the idea of reconciliation and why it's important to allow others to reconcile when they feel like they they're ready to you know so good stuff yeah, it was good stuff. Yep. So, uh, Miss Karina, what are we talking about today? So, today we are talking about something pretty big, something that I've dealt with, something that you've dealt with, something mm-hmm. that Gen Z deals with as a whole. That we they are do. talking about anxiety. That they do. Anxiety. So, I know saying that is already going to trigger some people. They're <laughs> going to be like, oh my gosh, every single podcast talks about anxiety. Every single self-help podcast out there is centered around anxiety and becoming a better version of you and why anxiety is just this horrible thing that eats you up from the Mm. inside out. And I just want to clarify that anxiety is not something that everyone deals with. And that's a big thing for Gen Z. It's like, let's normalize anxiety. And Mm -hmm. like anxiety is a mental illness and it's okay if you don't struggle with it, I'm grateful. Like I wish I was you (laughs) (laughs) and I'm already getting too deep. Seth, what are your just like when I say anxiety and Gen Z, like what comes to your mind? When I think of the idea of anxiety, well, first let's just talk about the idea of mental health like issues. Sure. Um, In general, when I think of that, I feel like it is so glamorized in today's society. Everybody has depression and anxiety. Like everyone that I talk to is always talking about, oh, uh, this is, uh, I'm depressed, I'm anxious. And and I'm not saying that everyone's a liar. Of course, it's a serious thing that you deal with. However, I think that there are a lot of people who say it because they want to jump on the trauma train. Yep. They want to they jump on the trend because it's very trendy. Let's be honest. It's very trendy to be like, haha, uh, Loki, I'm so depressed. Right. Like saying, <laughs> oh, I'm so depressed because I failed my test today, is taking away from the legit depression that people have. And depression could be circumstantial. You know, it could be that you lost somebody close to you or you went through a very difficult time. And so Mm -hmm. you are depressed due to that scenario. That's very, very normal. And you could, in those cases, a lot of times people go to therapy, they work through it, it might take years or months, um, and then they can eventually get back to the place that they were before. But for other people, it might not be circumstantial and it might be 
just like something that you have to consistently deal with. Those are the two types of depression anxiety that that I think of. You don't get depressed because you came home and you thought you had a frozen pizza in your fridge, but you didn't actually have a frozen pizza, and so now you're depressed. What? DiGiorno. DiGiorno, Elio's. We we can't say brands. We're not, we haven't <laughs> oh, gotten sorry, sponsorships sorry, sorry, sorry. yet. Um, well, I also think of when I think of the idea of anxiety and mental illness and Gen Z. I also think of forced depression and anxiety among people as well. Like I had a friend who was ta- who talked to me about how everyone had depression and like he came home and told his mom that he was really sad. You know, he he didn't mean it, but then after like really putting on that persona he actually was diagnosed with depression and had to go on meds, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I feel like uh, that's a, re- it's a really good friend of mine, but um, uh, like he talked about that and how it was really hard for him. It was really difficult for him. And, you know, but that's, that's kind of a thing that I think a lot of people are forced also to have that idea. You know, if they're like, Oh, everyone's depressed in this generation, everyone's anxious. And I think everyone has the ability to get anxious and has like the potential to have depression I don't think everybody has depression, Uh, you know, and I think certain people, you know, as far as people push anxiety, people also like to say that anxiety isn't as bad as everyone thinks. Mm -hmm. You just need to get over it. And that's kind of not how it works. And that's probably why, probably why uh, you also probably, you know, got a lot of issues at home if, or issues elsewhere, if that's what, that's what your thought process is. But anyway, it's for another day. So just to, make things a little bit clearer. I'm going to read the definition of anxiety. I'm not pulling this from dictionary.com. This is a definition according to the American Psychological Association. It says, anxiety is an emotion characterized by feelings of tension, worried thoughts, and physical changes like increased blood pressure. People with anxiety disorders usually have reoccurring intrusive thoughts or concerns. They may avoid situations out of worry. They may also have mm. physical systems such excuse me, symptoms such as sweating, trembling, dizziness, or a rapid heartbeat. Mm. Anxiety is not the same as fear, but they are often used interchangeably. That's really important that anxiety is not the same as fear, but they're often used interchangeably. There's some things that are just so integrated into our English language that we're probably not going to be able to change at this point. Like It feels kind of stupid preaching to everyone that anxiety is not the same as just simply worrying or just simply fearing something. Anxiety is like a whole nother category. But I'm not going to get the world to change their mind on that because we already use the word anxiety so lightly. We've already gotten to a point where anxiety, like the word anxious is just used interchangeably with fear or worry, but they're not the same. Uh, Yeah, I agree with what you're saying. I think that it's interesting to make the distinction between fear and anxiety. So now that we're talking about, you know, more, we're getting more deep into the differences between how we see anxiety and fear and stuff. Do you want to give your own personal testimony about your anxiety? Yeah. So my anxiety has always been there. I wasn't diagnosed till I was 16 years old, but it kind of showed up in little ways when I was very young. So when I was nine years old, I I mentioned this in a, a couple episodes ago that I had gone to therapy for the first time at nine years old because I had really irrational phobias. I was very germophobic. Specifically, I struggled with what's called emetophobia, which is a fear of vomit. Um, I didn't want to be around anyone who had a stomach ache. I didn't want to, like, think about, you know, the process. I was terrified of catching it myself. 
this was like one of the first things you told me. Yeah, because it was really well, not the not the first thing you ever told me. Right, like right, once right. we started dating and getting deeper in questions, that was one of the first things you told me. Because it sounds stupid, oh, like oh, I was anxious about throwing up, but this was like a serious, serious fear that I had. Like I thought I would die if I caught the stomach virus. This was also at a time when I was at a charter school, so basically the same as public school. It's very, very crowded. Everyone's always in the same space. And I feel like when you're young, like everyone's always throwing up. I don't know why. (laughs) Like when you get into the adult realm, like no one really throws up unless, you know, it was caused by something. If it was caused by food poisoning or, you know, overconsumption of something. But when you're young, you just be throwing up for no reason. Yeah. And you'd be crying so much. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, I can talk about it now and it's fine now. It's still, you know, I still get really triggered sometimes if I see it in public. But at this time, I would cry every single day because I didn't want to go to school because I was scared that someone was going to throw up, someone was going to give it to me, and then I was going to throw up. It was horrible. Like, I remember going to school every single morning and just sobbing. I also developed a really deep, like, I wanted to be home all the time. I was super, super homesick, even if I was just five minutes away. Like, I always wanted to be with my parents. I always wanted to be in like a comfortable space where that was controlled, that I knew I was going to be okay. Mm. Hated, hated like the seven hour day at school, which I still think seven hours is ridiculous, but that's for another day. (laughs) So that was really hard. That was the first time I went to therapy. My parents were super supportive of me. It was the first time I started journaling. They got me a green notebook that I wrote on the front, my feelings book, and I still have it. Um, And so I would fill it out. I would create these like charts of how sad or scared I was that day. And then my parents would read it and like write little notes for me and say like, we're so proud of you. Like, keep going. It's okay. And I remember going to therapy. and think, Yeah, it was really cute. Um, And normally I would say like, obviously when you're older, I think journals are personal and no one else should read them. But when I was that young, I think it was important for my parents Mm -hmm. to read them. And I remember my therapist being like, it's good that you're coming so young because there are adults who have this fear and who don't deal with it. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, there are adults who are scared of throwing up. And it's a real thing. Now that, um, you know, I'm all on social media and stuff, like I actually had a couple of videos pop up on my For You page of like adult women who have emetophobia. And it's really hard for them to think about having kids because obviously you get lots of stomach aches and you might throw up. Like there are women who deal with that and I couldn't believe it I could not believe it and I felt a little bit normal so that was the first way that anxiety really came through in my life then when I got to high school I already talked about my horrible high school experience and how I felt different from everyone and I would just get so anxious about like my anxiety would attach itself to things so like there was a time when I was in a very bad relationship in high school and so my anxiety attached itself to that relationship and to that person so every time I would see him in the hallways, I would get anxious, feel like I would, like it was like a sickness. Like I felt mm. so sick when I would see him. Or a circumstance, like, I don't know, maybe there's a really big event coming up in my life or a big talk I had to have with someone, like so, so anxious every single day. Mm. Um, and a lot of times anxiety comes along with depression. And so I finally got the help I needed when I was 16. My aunt encouraged me to have that hard conversation with my doctor and go on medication, which absolutely changed my life. Mm. And I'm not saying medication is correct for every circumstance, but for that time in my life, it absolutely saved my life. 
that's something I'm very passionate about. You can be Christian and still trust medication as well. Don't go into it blindly. Definitely do your research. Know what your body can handle. But that's been my experience with it. What about you, Seth? When have you dealt with anxiety? Well, for me, as like a kid, I don't think I got that much anxiety. I more struggled with like anger issues and like ADD um, when I was a little kid. So I it was really hard to sit down. And then when I would sit still, it would be like I'd freak out. And I had really bad anger issues when I was a little kid, always getting into fights. I, I don't really, I wouldn't really say that I started feeling anxiety probably really until high school. Uh, and that's when I started getting to a bunch of shows and stuff. And I, I just kind of felt more nervous about things. And I, and I started to inch, to push myself kind of inside more. I also talked about this in my testimony. Um, and then when I got older, like after I met you and I started working more full-time at more jobs, I got really, really, really anxious about a lot of things because when I went overnight at a retail store, it messed with my it messed with my mental so bad I remember. that like I started let's just say that a lot of bad things I, I I like a lot of rough things happened to me personally in that time and it was like the hardest it was probably the hardest personal experience of my life um, added with a few other things not just the work but I was that's when I started feeling real like hardcore depression and anxiety um, in my own life and it came to me more as a I would say mine was more situational mm-hmm. than yours. Yours was probably more uh, more chronic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. And not not to make fun of it or anything. That's not what it's about. But just like I think mine was more in like a, I think because of the circumstances. And now I struggle with anxiety more often than I should have. But I'm good now because I'm not good now. I'm not going to say I'm great now or anything. But I've learned more ways to cope with it because I've kind of, I took advantage of a lot of relationships in my life, but now I'm kind of starting to appreciate them more, and it helps a lot. Um, but for me, anxiety is it, kind of just a thing where you feel it, like when you get, like when you get anxious, you can have symptoms of being anxious, but when you feel that anxiety really in you, like it's it's in you, and you can't escape it. Like the 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 feeling of just immense confusion, and like guilt. And like fear as well. It's a weird combination of emotions. And I never had my first like attack with it until I was 19. And it was, uh, I was at home and I, to keep it short, I basically freaked out because of uh, work and because of my life. And I was like, I don't know where my life is going. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. And I freaked out and I had a really bad attack. And that was, and I was like, I didn't know what it was. Um, then I went to go see a therapist, and they told me, oh, that's probably what it was. Mm. And I was like, yikes, bruh. I didn't say that word for word, but. What were I some could. of your symptoms of freaking out? Some of the symptoms were I was, like, sweating a lot. I kind of was, like, I was crying, and, like, like, like uh, people would, t- like, my mom would tell me things to try and calm me down, but I, like, wouldn't, it wouldn't, like, be taken into account. You know, like I'd be like, no, 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 this is bad. It was like a lot. I was crying a lot. Mm. Like it was really bad. Like I could barely get out of my bed. Um, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. I know you've dealt with panic attacks. How, how would you say that? Yeah. So before I was on medication, um, I was having panic attacks like probably every single week. And it was mm-hmm. absolutely horrible. 
just a trigger warning for some more intense symptoms if anyone has also dealt with this. But for me, I would get somewhere alone. I would scream a lot. I always felt the presence of God. Like I remember certain points feeling like, God, am I going to deal with this forever? Like just screaming, like, why do I feel like this? Why do I feel like this? I would start scratching myself, like my arms and my neck. And I would start like pulling at my clothes, like pulling really hard, not like trying to take them off or anything, but like just pulling as, as a way to keep my hands busy and kind of aggressive. So one time I was like going for a run and I had a panic attack in the middle of my run. And so I went to an open field and I just like fell on my knees and I started tearing at my clothes. Like it was really scary. If any of you are dealing with that, it is time to seek help. You can't deny it any longer. Even if like the, the friends and family you have are telling you to just get over it. Right. So it's hard for me to think back at that point in my life. And so that's why when I see people on social media, you know, making all these memes about depression, like sure, you can share them with a friend and like laugh about it for a minute, but it's so much deeper than that. Mm-hmm. And it almost feels offensive because a lot of people making these memes and making these little pokes at mental illness don't actually deal with mental illness. Mm-hmm. And they've never dealt with it a day in their life. They've only dealt with maybe like surface level fear. And then they want to make a video about chronic anxiety and just doesn't doesn't work mm-hmm. like that. And it's so, so glamorized. Everyone wants it because they want to feel normal. So I yeah. can go on forever about that. And the whole idea, I think, behind mental illness and and, and the idea of feeling something deeper inside it's something that's not it's not a new thing though. It's not a new thing. People want to either be to one side or the other. Right. Like, oh, it's everywhere or it's not real. Right. You know, and and it's not what it is because even if we go as far back as looking into the word itself, the idea of having an inner struggle, an interpersonal struggle, an introspective struggle is so prevalent through the New Testament, especially in Paul's writing in Corinthians when he talks about the thorn in his side. Um, in in Second Corinthians twelve, he actually mentions. He says this in in, in verse uh, uh, seven. He says, "Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud." Mm. There, <clears throat> excuse me, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work in me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, and troubles I suffer with in Christ. For I am weak, then I am strong. That's a lot. And I think when I look at this, many people could say, oh, he must have a physical like issue. And I don't think that it's a physical issue. It's obviously not a physical thorn in his side. Right. Because when he talks about this, it's said in a way that makes it seem like it's something so much deeper than a physical wound. It must be something. It must be something that can be, that is that is in you, that others can't always see, that is something that is so interpersonal. Because the way he talks about it, when he says, um, to keep me from being proud, now, proud is an emotion that you can't always see. So I think the idea of something keeping you from being proud must be something that is deep inside of you, that is much deeper than any cut, physical cut or wound or 
or terror can ever cause you. Mm-hmm. That's my personal pain, and I see that as some type of mental illness. Yeah, I think that it could people's quote thorns can be different things. I I think that Paul is saying that there's going to be something in your life that you're just going to have to deal with and push through and suffer through throughout your whole life. Mm-hmm. There's just going to be things. But God can use whatever that weakness is for good to show his power through it. So for me, I think of anxiety immediately. That's the first thing that comes to my mind. There was a time, I won't get into details, but there was a time recently this past winter that I had a really bad panic attack. And I sat in my friend's car afterwards and she just listened to me. Like she listened to me cry and um, she just looked at me and she said, she took my hand and she said, Karina, this is your thorn. Like how it talks about in first in second Corinthians, this is the thorn that you're going to have to deal with. And it's my thorn too. She struggles with anxiety. And so it was amazing like how we could relate to each other on that level. But she just like looked into my eyes and said that. And like, I, I understood like, and in that moment when she said that, it's almost like I had a supernatural sense of peace that came from that because I was like, right. Like I Mm. have this, I'm going to have this for the rest of my life, medication or not. And God can show himself through that weakness in me. Because mm-hmm. through my anxiety, I'm able to talk to other people who struggle with it and to tell them like, hey, this isn't like this isn't the end of things, you know? That's good. And uh, that's really good. And, and it further, um, I think, accomplishes your point in further into the text, as it uh, mentions when he says, uh, that's why I take pleasure in my weakness, in my insults in my hardships, in my persecutions, and in the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Because there is nothing wrong with being weak, but there is a problem with staying weak. And I think if we find, if we look at these problems and just call them problems, I think that's one of the biggest issues with Gen Z and our and our, our generation when it comes to mental illness. Because we see it as, oh, I'm de- I have depression. I have anxiety. I can't do this because I have depression. It's because I have anxiety. And I think we we look at it and we give it too much power because, of course, depression and anxiety, things like that, it's hard to say if they would ever go away in anyone who struggles as harshly as certain people do. Mm-hmm. There are people who struggle with it so harshly. It's, it's sad. It's hard to say if it will ever go away. But that doesn't mean that there can't still be life lived. And to stay in that place where you say that this depression just has a hold over me is hard. And many people feel that they have to do it alone, but that's not true. You don't have to do it alone because oftentimes if you're a Christian and you struggle with depression, even if you're a Christian, you're still probably going to have a really hard time. Right. That's one of the biggest lies is like once you come to Jesus, you're never going to struggle. And I would hope that Christians in our generation can see like how flawed that statement is Mm -hmm. because Jesus promises we're going to suffer more. Mm -hmm. So. And God has given us the gift of community, as He says, "Where there are two or more in my, where there are two or more in my presence, uh, I am I am in your presence there. Where there are two or more, and that's just such a beautiful thing because the gift of community is something we take for granted so much. We take a church building for granted, we take a church convention, a camp for granted, but there are so many. I didn't realize until late last year there are so many relationships." I would have never made 
had I not gone through certain things I went through and had I not tried to go out and look for other people. And because of that, I'm so eternally grateful. And God is so good for that certain reason that he gives you the ability to be able to make friends and to be able to make connections. And and again, when it says, when it's like when Paul talks about the idea of feeling so happy to see others in the word as well, that happiness grows inside of you as well as you go further into the word. And so you get to you get to take the harsh things in your life, the anxiety and depression, and say, this isn't to hold me. And you know what? I'm actually going to be happy that I have this because I get to share this experience with someone else who might be going through it, mm-hmm. with someone else who was in my exact place years ago. Mm-hmm. And so you get to take what was once a curse and a burden, use it as a gift, use it to prosper and help others prosper. And that's not to say that if you have depression or anxiety that you have to get over yourself or you have to just be happy because that is the most toxic thing that anyone can say Mm -hmm. to you. If you have depression and anxiety, you are allowed to feel all of those feelings. And honestly, it's not an overnight cure. It, It never is. You have to give yourself patience. You have to see how gracious and patient God also is towards you. And it is a slow daily process to first recognize that you struggle with it and then to find coping strategies that work for you and then to recognize that I'm going to struggle with this, but it can be used for good and that doesn't invalidate the experience. Mm -hmm. So coping strategies, what has worked for you in the past when you struggled with your panic attacks and anxiety? Um, Well, definitely reading the word and prayer. Um, But, you know, of course, that's very easy to say to anybody. One thing for me is bringing it to other people's attention, like straight up, because one of the hardest parts about, I think one of the hardest things about being feeling anxious and feeling depressed is feeling like you're alone. Now, of course, you can't always talk to everybody about your problems like that. There are people you have to choose that you can be vulnerable with. Yes. However, whoever those people are, you got to talk to them. You got to. It's, 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 it's necessary. It's scary. It's nerve wracking. And it's anxiety-inducing, let's be honest. But you got to do it. It's a, necessary, it's a necessary thing you have to do. Um, and also for me, of course, music. I love music. Music was a big uh, uh, thing to help me cope. Spending time with you Aww. is always very helpful. Same. Um, yeah, yeah. Going to church, honestly, going to church is very fun, but also exercising is pretty fun too. Dancing is pretty fun to do. Getting yourself in a place, really pushing forward your passions, I think can really help you cope with anxiety. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, um, I really had to press into my passions. And honestly, it's interesting. I felt like when I was most depressed, I was actually able to create really beautiful artwork. Like I look back on the poetry that I wrote when I was in my lowest moments, and it's so expressive. And mm. like I feel like it is the essence of me. And now that I'm in a much mm, better that, yeah. place, it's like, yeah, it's, it's all right. <laughs> and that sounds bad. But I've actually, yeah, there's actually a lot of like professional artists out there that say that they felt most inspired when they were at their lowest moments. So really pressing into your passions. For me, that was journaling, sketching. Poetry. I'm not very good at Poetry. What do you say? Poetry. Well, yeah, writing, lots of different writing styles. She can write, y'all. Well, thank you. (laughs) I would do some sketching. I'm not a good artist at all, but I would tell myself that I was. So I would like sketch whatever I felt like. And obviously I didn't show anyone because they're not good drawings. (laughs) Just the act of like creating a picture really helped me 
Mm. even knowing I wasn't going to show anyone going outside. Oh my gosh. Seasonal depression Mm -hmm. is so Mm -hmm. real. I'm so much worse in the winter. And so springtime and summertime, like you've got to get your vitamin D, go outside. And like, it's an instant, instant lift. Um, And there are going to be days when you don't feel like you can get out of bed. And that's really hard. And on those days, honestly, you might just have to let yourself feel call a friend, say, hey, I'm struggling to get out of bed today. Can you just stay on the phone with me? And they, if they're a real friend, they will stay on the phone with you. Um, so on days like that, you can't really force yourself to do anything. And if you need a mental health day, you take a mental health day, okay? Those are real. Don't you take, take one. Don't take them five days a week. Don't take them five days a really week. But if you really need one, you if take If you it. really need one, take it. Period. Period. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah, like I said, I could talk about this for forever. If mm-hmm. anyone... Has any experience? We can do future episodes about this as well. Yeah, we could totally you know. do it. If anyone wants to share any experiences in our mm-hmm. DMs, we would love to have a conversation with you mm-hmm. um, or any questions or anything like that. But for today, we are going to wrap up. So, any final thoughts? Any final thoughts? I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so either. I felt like got everything out. So, thank you for joining us this week, you guys. Thank you guys as always, so much. we will be back next week. Um, so stay tuned. Stay tuned. Stay tuned.